Okay, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to this uh, episode of the podcast. I've got uh, Chris Avore and Matthew Grocky here with me to uh, discuss a little bit about their perspective on omnichannel content, governance, uh, systems, and strategy. Uh, and I'm hoping you're all aware by now that there's uh, this is in anticipation of the 2020 conference. It's coming up June 8th to 10th in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Uh, depending on when you're hearing this, that may be in the past or the future. So I hope you I hope you join us, or I hope you had a great show. So uh, Chris and Matthew, uh, yeah. So I've, I've I've known you guys for a little while now, but uh, please do introduce yourselves to to our audience. Tell us a little about yourselves. Um, Chris, do you want to go first? Sure. Thanks, Naz. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Chris Avore. I'm currently the head of customer experience and product design at a Washington DC based agency called Modus Create. Uh, prior to joining Modus, I was on a design transformation team at Envision. And then previously to that, I led uh, product design and user experience at the NASDAQ Stock Exchange for uh, about eight years. Cool. And Matt? Sure. Um, hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be here. Um, my name is Matthew Grocky. I am the founder and principal of Grassfed Content, which is a content strategy consultancy based out of the New Hampshire Seacoast. We're about uh, 50 minutes, yeah, excuse me, 50 minutes north of Boston. And I am just really excited to talk about omnichannel and content today. Cool, 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 cool. So um, I'm very interested in your, both of your perspectives on this. You come from slightly different backgrounds, uh, but have, you know, interrelated roles, which is what we're all about at Omnichannel X, talking about how different roles come together around the customer. Um, I'm interested uh, for both of you to tell me your perspective. We, I've been asking uh, on, on the last episode as well, some of our experts about the terminology, because we know that it's contentious, Omnichannel uh, itself, some people think it's a meaningless buzzword, some others think it's, it's, it's a really powerful movement, you know which side I'm on. Um, but I'm curious as to yourselves, what what do you feel the difference between omnichannel, multi-channel, and cross-channel? These these kind of terms that we throw around. What do they mean to you, and what how would you differentiate them? So I'll I'll, I'll jump in, uh, Matt, if you don't mind. I think really what I think um, some of the differences lie in is both in the kind of intent and agency of the um, message that's being communicated. Um, so oftentimes when you think of like cross-channel or multi-channel, you're thinking much more of a um, you know, some type of strategy to project content or meaning or interest uh, through a variety of different ways to get that message to whatever intended audience you're, you're reaching out to. Um, Omnichannel, on the other hand, I think is when you get more involved with um, the kind of like ambient uh, awareness almost of what that messaging is. This is, I think, where you get more into uh, pervasive computing, where you get more into sensors that are able to adjust on the fly back to a, uh, you know, a mothership, so to speak, of what is happening um, in that customer prospect, um, you know, user's life that is, that is important. So this is, I think that's where you get more into thinking about like a lot of the internet of things types of, uh, you know, ideas or a lot of the smart cities types of uh, philosophies that become more of that on the channel experiment experience, mm -hmm. especially when you get into things like beacons on your phone or things like that, where your shopping uh, experience in a retail environment may be following you pervasively through through other experiences as well. That's kind of the, the bigger difference, I think, from 
going from on the channel to a cross channel where you may say, well, what's our air quote mobile strategy or what's our air quote, you know, desktop strategy. That's a big difference, I think, than um, where you have sensors that are kind of reporting on a lot more of that and feeding back to what's actually happening. Cool. Yeah, that's really good perspective, Chris. I would say, you know, my take on it is I almost look at it through the lens of um, maturity and organizational maturity. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, cross-channel or multi-channel basically is implying that there are siloed areas of the business that are able to, um, that are, are tactically um, or that are, that have, have committed to um, a customer experience, whereas, whereas Omni to me is more about um, that unified customer experience and really the mm -hmm. striation across, across all areas of the organization. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I even will think of Omnichannel in terms of like enterprise versus, you know, an enterprise content strategy versus like a, just a marketing content strategy or, or something along those lines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so to me, um, Omnichannel if, if, if I have customers coming to me or potential clients coming to me and they're talking about omnichannel, I already know that they are, are, are leveled up a little bit. So, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So you see it as a kind of a, a term for those in the know. Uh, I mean, I take without everything being too, without being too elitist about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt, right? Like, you know, folks are definitely, um, you just have to be cognizant of what type of uh, what 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 conference or talk or book or article they've read prior to giving you a call, right? Um, right, right, right. Because uh, you know, and, and so much of this is about just really getting to what the root of the problem or the ask is. Um, I'm not saying that the terms are irrelevant, um, but I'm I'm more rooted in the fact that like, what is what are we what are you looking to solve? What's your pain point? Yeah, I think you talked about the the idea of, of enterprise content strategy as opposed to departmental or channel-based strategies. I, th I think that's uh, uh, has a lot to do with it, and I think they're both both answers kind of fit together nicely in the sense that you can take it from an internal perspective of saying we're going to have a holistic look at what we're doing. Uh, but if you're going to do that, you, you better be ready and better be thinking about what some of those new data sources and new, uh, output channels, uh, might be and how that might figure into your strategy in the long term. Exactly. So, um, do you guys want to tell me a little bit about some more about your recent work? And have you got any stories where you've, uh, had to align multiple channels and try to bring them together? Uh, I'm happy to jump in with that. Um, uh, in, in, and I think what's really interesting, just to step back for a sec, um, what's great about this conversation is, you know, Chris coming at this more from a, um, uh, basically a, an, an overall customer experience mindset and from a leadership mindset, whereas, you know, a lot of my work is centered um, a little bit further downstream on the content side of things, kind of you know, leveling up to the customer experience uh, portion of this. I will say from uh, my recent work on the content strategy side of things, um, really what I've been working on is so much, so much of my work, especially centered around um, any type of omnichannel communications or aligning teams on, um, okay, so you say you want to be on omnichannel. What does that mean uh, from a content perspective? A lot of my work centers around, um, 
looking at, you know, looking at different areas, areas of the business, figuring out what the maturity level is from a content standpoint in that, um, for example, I was just recently worked on a project where this one company, a single entity had over 250 products that they sold software products. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically they were looking to align, um, on basically they sounded like 256 different companies. (laughs) <laughs> Every time you talk about a different company or a different product. So it was really difficult. And we had to interview over, you know, 50 stakeholders from all these different lines of businesses to be able to see what the maturity level was of those content producing entities. And um, so for us, rather than recommend kind of like a straight hierarchical um, editorial strategy where we're saying we're going to have one editor in chief and everybody else is underneath them, like as an org chart, we recommended more of a um, hub and spoke model, which is to say, you know what, we have an upper, uh, editorial and governance team here in place. It is part of the marketing initiative, but we see you over in your line of business and that you have, you know, a good maturity level. You may not need us less, but, um, this area of the business that really is not, um, has that level of maturity from a content standpoint, um, you may need to lean on us a a little bit heavier. Mm. So, um, creating in, in what, what that helps for me and Chris, I'll shut up in a second so you can talk. But, um, I think what's really good about that is it allows, enables lines of businesses to operate, um, to, to not rock the boat. If they're doing something that's really well, but they're not ready to really implement that, implement their strategy across the entire organization, mm-hmm. we can at least have a single entity where they can use us if needed, um, especially on the much less mature side of the writing area of the business. Right. So a little bit of putting the, putting, making sure you have the oil applied to the squeaky wheels and prioritize properly. And if something is, is not broke, then not running in there trying to fix it. Yeah. And it obviously, I'm really surprised with how, um, like if they, <laughs> a lot of my findings is if there's an area of the business that's really doing well on their content, um, they're like, listen, we're doing this really well. Like if we bring this to the business, we're going to ruin things. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're scared of everyone finding out. <laughs> and so we want to be like, no, 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 we're not here to break up your, your mothership. Um, but we do want to make sure that, or we at least evangelize your best practices to other areas of the business. Cause you really can help. Yes, I think that's a, that's a big one. So Chris, from, from your perspective, if you're kind of taking from, from the leadership role, what do you think some of the important actions are for, for leaders to, to prepare their orgs and move in this direction? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing over the last number of years is actually um, teaching a class at Rutgers University in New Jersey about kind of trying to create a better culture of collaboration and sharing um, in like in a customer experience team. And so oftentimes we'll get a lot of executives or, or mid-career leaders who are trying to uh, kind of basically improve that environment that they're, that they're working in. So less about my experience doing it and more from a perspective of trying to coach some of these other leaders. What oftentimes um, I have seen is that there's still this element of, the unknown of what these other teams are trying to do or what some of these other uh, lines of business have access to that could almost be a threat to them. And they're, and they're still trying to come to grips with, um, you know, kind of aligning these fiefdoms to be, um, you know, all working together, uh, which I think is, is incredible that, you know, we're, we're 
weeks away from 2020 and this is still a challenge. I feel like this is getting almost to universal human behavior and nothing that has anything to do with technology or, or the digital age because we're still dealing with this. Um, and so usually what we have, what I have tried to, to coach some of these leaders on is, is kind of, you know, almost like some of these uh, cliches that like by sharing more, by giving away more, you're going to be increasing your ability to have those more strategic questions that will get you in the room when other people are making decisions that ultimately will impact, you know, how, right? Like you can't necessarily be multi-channel or, or let alone omni-channel if you really only have perspective and awareness of what one of those channels is doing. And so to be able to create those bridges, um, and we can talk about that in a little bit, how to create those bridges to bring more of those others in um, without necessarily looking needy, without looking like you have an agenda, but by contributing more, you'll oftentimes get more of those invites back. Uh, you you touch upon a couple things there uh, that I that I want to respond to and I really like. Uh, one you, you reminds me a little bit of Ryan Skinner, who's uh, the omnichannel content uh, analyst from Forrester, who spoke last year. He talks about kind of getting light into the whole organization, just being able to see uh, what you have and what's going on. And I think that's one of the, the major enterprise challenges right now is that you, there's no way that you can keep track of everything that you're creating, publishing, managing, you've got out there. Um, so being able to audit and understand what you even have uh, at any one time is, a, is, a, is really a major challenge. It's a technological challenge and it's, it's, a, you know, it's a human kind of brain capacity challenge to wrap your head around it all. And then the other thing you said about human behavior, um, I think it's fascinating that we're kind of like in the age of the argument between those who want to integrate and those who want to separate. You know, that's the sort of the, the zeitgeist of, our, of, of, this, of this era is this, the, at every level, um, you know, are, are we a we or are we a group of individuals and how do we break up? And that's what on everybody's mind. Um, and it's kind of being forced by digital technologies, I think, because as we all pile into a global conversation, there's this big discussion about, well, how, how much should we blend and how much should we separate? And it's in the background of every big debate going on in the world. Right, right, yeah, and absolutely. I, and, it, and it totally depends on the organization too. Um, you know, and that's why it's, it's so important to talk to so many different areas of the business as you can to, uh, to get a feel for like, is this, is this just one more thing I have to do? Like, is this, is this, is this threatening me? Hmm. Or is this making my job more complicated? And it really comes down to a people issue at that mm -hmm. point, And it, it becomes a very different conversation. So we got a, we actually had a question, which I think is relevant to what we're talking about that came in from the community. Um, we asked people what they would ask uh, our panel experts. And they said, uh, one of the first things I'd ask would be about gathering user requirements slash pain points. Is it a good approach to develop a basic set of questions to ask users across the organizations, record any additional organic questions that arise during the discussions, then circle back to ask the organic questions in a follow-up meeting, 
then analyze the information in a matrix and audit to find the first wave of common needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had some, some experience with trying to get at the core of what that question is prompting, um, but with a little different approach. Um, okay. Times, um, you know, what I'll try to, to teach, not only in my Rutgers courses, but even in a lot of design workshops, even recently, um, I was doing a full day workshop on like design operations for design leaders. And this was a big part of what we were trying to, uh, to work through together. Instead of kind of doing this interview approach, um, I try to take a more uh, collaborative approach with a lot of different teams or different leaders throughout the organization, or at least at the start of, you know, at least a handful of people within the organization. So you're not just getting a one by one uh, perspective, answering the same question over and over again. And kind of the way we, we try to um, work is almost by laying out, you know, the typical customer journey of where these folks are assuming their content or their on the channel outreach uh, exists. And then once you have that step, if there's a start to a finish, then the, try to encourage uh, these folks to think of, you know, two steps before and two steps after mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so you're not necessarily just thinking of, of like a login to a confirmation page type of flow. And then, um, and then things can start to get a little bit more interesting uh, where you start to then, if you, if you get the entire group to at least align on what that journey might be, then you kind of start to ask uh, individuals that it's important to do this individually so that you don't necessarily get into groupthink or, a, or a, the loudest person in the room kind of dominating the conversation. What you ask them to do individually is to say like, okay, well, which of these steps has the biggest risk if we screw this up? Mm. Or perhaps you might say something like, what is most important to our goals that we have to get right? And then everybody individually answers that. But then you can also take it a couple of different ways. You can say, what are we most guessing on here? What is our biggest assumption like? What are, where are we assuming human behavior here that we haven't seen before? Um, and what you then start to say is like, okay, now let's put those individual responses up on the wall and you can start to see if there's any affinity to, to one of those streams or one of those channels. Um, and by doing it individually, you're kind of keeping that safe space of where if somebody said that the third step was the highest risk, but then the rest of the group is all putting the fifth step as the highest risk. Now you have an open opportunity to draw a discussion from why that person thought that that would be a risk, right? Whereas, whereas normally if it was just a straight up dot voting exercise, somebody would probably most likely just move their dot over to the fifth step instead of the third, because they wouldn't want to look different or they wouldn't want to, you know, look like they didn't know or something to that effect. Um, and then that can kind of be the start of more of your survey questions then if you were going to run interviews from there, um, because now you have a stronger understanding of what that current state could be of where there could be risk, where there could be prioritization, where there could be assumptions, where there could be opportunity. In other cases, you could, you could do it as like, what's the easiest thing to get right that we're not doing, you know, so that, that way you can get some short term wins, get more of the organization on your side and kind of continue that way. Um, that, oftentimes you can get a little bit more oomph out of that quicker than trying to survey or interview 10 people and then go back and interview them again because you're getting additive information every time you talk to somebody else, right? And so all of a sudden the questions you're asking the ninth person aren't the same thing you asked the, of the second person, which right. can kind of become problematic. So that's, uh, and, it, and, it's, and people usually dig it. It's very easy for, 
folks to understand, to grasp, to, to recognize that there's some value there, that they're thinking about things that they haven't heard, and that they're hearing perspectives that they haven't necessarily thought of either. So you're kind of doing a, uh, trying to get the best of both worlds between the individual stakeholder interviews and the interactive group sessions. Exactly, exactly. I, I regularly encourage, um, you know, less brainstorming and more individual contribution that's then reviewed by the group. There's a lot of thinking about that uh, recently about how, you know, we, we hold up brainstorming as the, the best way to generate great ideas. And there's been some, some quantitative measuring of that. And I, I, I really like where you're coming from, because I do think there's a lot that comes from individual personalities, you know, not, proper, not properly leveraging the introverts who may have fantastic contributions, but don't do the same social dynamics that the, the brainstorming workshop, everyone kind of jumping in uh, doesn't, doesn't work for them. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really, uh, I think there's a really good kind of bit of wisdom there in terms of approach. Thank you. Um, I, Matt, did you want to jump in there on that one as well? Or I don't think I can top that. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I really like the, A, I like the question. Great question. Um, I can't, you know, like I see the value of having that type of matrix and, you know, going through it more from a like standard, um, uh, like standard user research um, formulation. I think that can be helpful. The matrix can be helpful or, or having some type of artifact like that can be helpful in certain um, organizations, like I would almost classify like old school organizations, or a little bit more traditional organizations mm -hmm. that require that accountability. Um, there could be value in that. Um, so, um, but like Chris said, I, I couldn't be any more on board with that approach, with his approach. I'll, I'll kind of like to, to put a, a bow on that. One thing that I think is, is important there, um, there's a few reasons why I think that matrix um, is important. Um, one, it's to show that uh, you know, then you have a baseline that you can measure against three months from now, right? Um, you know, now you have now you have something in writing that says these were the biggest concerns day one after day ninety or quarter two. How 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 much have we changed if we do this exercise again? So it's really important to to actually have that uh, concrete recording of what happened. The other thing, and this is uh, one of the big things I worked on at Envision uh, with Leah Buley, was the Envision Design Maturity Report. Um, and one of the things that her research found that I was seeing empirically in a lot of the interviews that I was doing with design leaders all over the world was that these, um, you know, so basically the, the maturity model indicated that there were about five levels of maturity. And the first level of maturity, the lowest level was basically organizations that perceived design as, you know, just moving pixels, just the rendering of digital screens that are going somewhere. The arts and, then and the crafts division? Exactly, exactly. And uh, the level two organizations, which made up about 20% of the respondents, said that design is what happens in a workshop. And it was basically that, you know, designers get to go into somewhere, or content people or product development people go into a workshop, there's a lot of sticky notes everywhere, and then they come out and then they go make the things on the screen. And so by having that audit, and by having that matrix of your baseline, you're kind of reinforcing that this was actually a business activity. This was not just, uh, you know, playtime for the designers or for the content people or for the product development experts to get together and just blow off work for two hours um, and put a lot of sticky notes up on the wall. It kind of gives a little bit more credence to, uh, to the outcome, even if it is just a deliverable. So to Matt's point about the old school 
you know, more traditional organizations that want to see something to capture what happened. Uh, politically, it can be a really good move as well. So there's, it's kind of a, a double, uh, there's basically like a couple benefits from, from making sure that you capture a lot of what's, what that is. I think there's, there's, a, there's a fundamental one that we, you know, I've come across projects all the time, which is so many outputs of these workshops become shelfware. They, yeah, uh, you know, we, we have to get together, look at customer experience, do great whiteboarding, take a lot of photos, put a lot of stickies up, you know, all, put, a, put them all in a, in, a, in a roll afterwards, come up with a PDF, send it around, and everybody goes back to work like they were before. Um, exactly. Maybe a couple insights get applied, but what you're talking about is 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 iterating over that, capturing that, and I think that's what that's how you operationalize change, as opposed yeah. to you know have a have a knowledge exchange day, which is a totally different thing. And I think yeah. a, a lot of customer journey mapping exercises are are one or try to be try to be the try to be the, the good one and end up being the kind of um, the pale imitation. Absolutely. No, for, that's a huge problem um, where customer journeys turn out, where, where the outcome is a really beautiful uh, plot or printed uh, document that is mm -hmm. never used. Um, yeah. and, so, and, and oftentimes that's where it's the responsibility of the organization's leadership to make sure that, because you can't ask a practitioner to, who's you know, spending 40 or 50 hours a week making sure the work is getting done to mm -hmm. pull their head out of the the you know kind of the line of fire so to speak to to think about wait a minute haven't we done this before or haven't we necessarily asked these questions before oftentimes it has to be that leader who is less um on the ground who has a little bit more perspective who is in a couple different meetings than the practitioners who could be saying things like wait a minute like a quarter ago we we went through this prioritization exercise has the has the earth changed under our feet that we need to do this again like can we be asking questions of our customers or internally that could indicate that things have changed that we now need to take action on instead of just assuming that something happened three months ago ergo the world is still the same and we can we can continue leaving that as shelfware yeah 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 absolutely okay thank you very much for that, chris um we got another one from the community here which is uh, a little, little more open-ended. Uh, it's just basically want, they want to know what technology knowledge has served you guys best. As, as people who are touching content and design, uh, and especially as content professionals, you've got AI, machine learning, content models, which are kind of, a, for me, the, the, the nexus point between design and content. Um, what do the, you the, what do you think they should be doing to keep up with the pace of change with all this stuff that, that's happening out there? Well, it's interesting because it's almost two questions, right? Which is like one I, I read this from you know how how technical do you need to be as a practitioner um, versus you know how do you keep up with the latest trends and technique techniques? Um, you know, I, I was thinking through this question and. The first thing that came to mind was like, man, I am just too old to be a unicorn at this stage of my career. Um, you know, I, I, I love and respect the folks that are able that that can that can code and design and write content and do everything. Um, I will say that when taking on larger projects, you know, I, I make sure that that my entire team has that varied skill set. 
um, you know, has a varied skill sets, obviously, um, pull off what we're trying to pull off from a content standpoint. I will say um, more and more, I am bringing in uh, data scientists, more quantitative um, expertise to be able to better capture and tell the data story. Um, so for me, it's, uh, I look at it more as like a resource issue, less about what I have to do professionally. Um, you know, I think we constantly are, are grappling with, you know, how much of in the bubble am I and, you know, how much do I need to see what other folks are doing? Um, so for, for me, it's about, um, not, not yada yadaing the technical parts of that. Cause there's going to be the, you know, like there's already something beyond AI. There's already something beyond, um, you know, voice and the internet of things. So it's more about making sure that the team's nimble enough to still be able to execute on whatever the technical constraint or, or need is, but more importantly, making sure that everybody on the team can evangelize what we're trying to get done. Yes, I think the last part is really important about the, um, you know, I like to end the workshop and everybody's got to be able to leave and give an elevator pitch of what happened and why, you know, what was yeah. the point. So, yeah. And that's, know. that's from a, that's from a, a marketing copywriter all the way to a JavaScript developer. Yeah. Anybody who's in the room, you got to, if a week from now, somebody stops you in the hall and go, Oh yeah, you, you did that, that workshop last week. What was that all about? What are, you know, do we all come out of there with a, with a good, with a good pitch? That's a, a, something I, I try to try to emphasize. Um, although I think the three of us might be a little bit, uh, spoiled on this question in that we can talk about putting together our team and you know making sure we have all the right resources and stuff but i know that there's a lot of people who might be listening to this who go i don't got no resources i don't got no team sure. um so how do, how do i um handle this because either they can be in a startup they can be in, in in a nonprofit, they can be in all sorts of situations where the the organization is just putting all this stuff on their shoulders and they go i could learn a million things and read a million books where should I go next? I, I'm not suggesting that I have a better answer <laughs> than you just gave, but it is, there's this, this balancing act uh, between um, specialization and uh, being able to talk to all the things that you might be asked about. And then also simply understanding. For me as a you know, program director for the conference and, and as a consultant, I worry about uh, sometimes you go into an environment and the other people just haven't learned enough of the fundamentals to be able to speak to each other. And there's just so much translating in the room. You got to have one person who speaks enough tech to be able to translate to the marketers who then put that back into design language. And if, if people could just learn a little bit more about how they fit in and how, what the other roles are doing, then better conversations would happen. Although I guess it's not a tech technology thing as much as it is a, we should be talking to each other more. It, it, I, I use sports analogies all the time and, and this is almost like a, a zone defense versus a, a person on person or man on man type of uh, situation where see there you lost me I don't understand at all but please yeah. go on so, okay some so. people will <laughs> <laughs> um, what I mean by that is you know if you're playing basketball or um, American football and you are defending somebody in that like Nas I'm just going to defend you mm -hmm. versus like a zone defense, which is like there'll be 10 people on the field uh, or five basketball players, and they're, they're defending a certain area of the court, not necessarily. And so when you go into a meeting or when you go into a workshop, 
it's not that you have to, as an individual, know all the things. It's like, okay, I can contribute to what my like core competency is, but you know what? Like I have just enough data science in me to be dangerous. So I can help contribute to that overall, um, collective, uh, agreement, um, understanding that we all need to be accountable for rather than it just being like, okay, you only talk about tech and you only talk about content. So I think that's where that's, that's where I was coming from, from the, from the strained analogy. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you play a lot of American football now? Because you just started the other conversation with that you're an old man. And, like, I don't see a lot of <laughs> you guys like shoulder pads there, big guy. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> before, we do, before we get too sidetracked. Um, so uh, I think I, I, I see we're, we're getting on time there. Uh, I want to ask one last question, which we talked a lot around leadership um, and we've talked a lot on projects. I wanted to know if you've had um, like specific examples where it's made a difference. So uh, if you can think about what was the, the best impact statement or the best story where you saw a before and after and what what did they do in the uh, to try to bring channels together and then what was the result how was it better afterwards hmm. so i can i can ask i can address a, a couple of those that you know some of those wins that we were able to promote and stuff since i've been kind of out of an in-house role for almost two years my examples might be uh, a little uh longer in the tooth because i'm going back to my nasdaq days um here but i mean among the things that that we were able to really do like basically from a you know the, you kind of um fragmented the uh the question there now so you said like where had multi-channel or on the channel experiences been positive and then also where had like kind of getting that that buy-in um you know or seeing that kind of like culture start to shift a little bit um you know from a from just a, a cross channel type of experience, I think where things started to make a turn is where we were able to consolidate and streamline a lot more of um, where our product messaging was heading and the ways it was actually um, communicated. In a lot of instances at the time, um, a lot of the, the products had standalone help sections or they had standalone, um, you know, uh, you know you know, lists of what content was available and things like that. And um, all of those experiences would always break or disrupt that flow of a start to finish experience that was pretty well researched. We were pretty confident that that's the way the world was supposed to work. And so one of the things that we were able to do with a lot of uh, research um, was to be able to identify where things should remain standalone, um, but more importantly, where things could be brought into that experience so that flow wasn't disrupted. Um, and it, it had a number of downstream benefits, uh, not to mention just it was easier to use, but it reduced um, the level of maintenance we had to do to support it. It reduced mm -hmm. the level of governance that we had to be able to create new uh, material and things like that. So it was overall, that was, um, you know, a, a positive experience that, again, it's probably, th you know, almost three years old now at this point, um, but it did not rely on advanced data science. It did not require teams of uh, machine intelligence, uh, mathematicians uh, working around the clock to execute. It was, it was far more getting uh, those teams to see eye to eye to be able to say that, man, the way we have been doing this is less effective, less efficient, and there can be a better way. 
um, is, is, is oftentimes kind of where I think is a, is a quick example that I think is, is relevant there. I, I think that, that that's great. You know, I, uh, as much as a lot of people are, are want to know how they can throw AI at this and, and now the data science is a hot topic, uh, so often uh, it's so important to come back to fundamentals. Like, yeah. do, are we well organized? Are we, are we taking stock of what we've got? Are we looking for deduplication opportunities and defragmentation opportunities? Uh, yeah. So, um, it, yeah, I think that's I've great. seen those, those jokes around where I've, I've seen a uh, internet meme where it's a, it's a screenshot of a Scooby-Doo cartoon where they're about to be unmasking the criminal and the criminal has like data science or artificial intelligence uh, <laughs> written on it. And then when they unmask it, it's just a conditional statement. Right. If this, then that, you know, and, uh, and oftentimes um, where I think that's really relevant is if somebody said we need more data science on this or we yeah. need to machine, machine intelligence size this, uh, this app, you would say, well, why, you know, hmm. is it, is it you need better predictive behavior? Cause we could probably research that. Is it because you need better like analytics? Well, there's a big difference between performance analytics and performance metrics than there is mm -hmm. data science. Yeah, um, and this is coming from an English degree, so like I, I barely even know, like I haven't had a, a science class probably since 1988. So, and who's um, old? Who's old? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, getting to that core of why someone thinks one of these latest and greatest technologies is is important is oftentimes uh, just as important as as how you would implement said technology in the first place, because in a lot of cases what they're asking for is different than why they need it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I love it. Okay. So, um, last question, um, governance structures. Did you, Oh wait, sorry, Matthew. I didn't, I didn't ask you about stories. Uh, what's your, what's your favorite story? <laughs> um, you know, shockingly enough, my favorite story is, uh, again, from on the content side of things where, um, you know, really, like, you can say omni-channel as much as you want, but how do you actually implement that? Mm -hmm. um, one of the projects where I was working on with a, a team of writers, and they were in numerous different um, business divisions, and they, you know, they got together once a month to have a writer's meeting, but um, I learned to find out through my due diligence that no one really spoke. <laughs> it, was, um, it was a very quiet meeting, and, you know, again, they were kind of all aligned with their own um, you know, agendas. And so through, you know, the, my work is more consultative in that I haven't been in-house for a number of years. So, you know, it's basically me working with enterprises, not physically sitting in the enterprise. Mm -hmm. But um, the result of our work about creating that overarching enterprise content strategy for the organization and talking to them about, talking to the writers, talking to the folks who are, you know, boots on the ground, like literally producing the content for the organization, positioning it as a, this is a tool and we are here to amplify the work that you are doing. We're doing it under the umbrella of this um, larger organizational initiative, but, you know, it becomes less, much less standoffish that way. Um, folks like to hear that, that their work is important and their, their work's not being threatened. And really what, what, what came from that was creating the, um, I won't call it enterprise, but they created an editorial team. They, they basically created a content strategy team within their organization and they, they 
pulled in all the different people from the, the lines of business to contribute to that content strategy team. And now it is a team um, comprised of, of individual subject matter experts, but are holistically under, uh, operating under that enterprise level. And that to me, from an organizational um, design standpoint, is, is from, from a content standpoint, is how you can achieve a level of maturity when it comes to omnichannel and executing on the content side of things. I love that because it actually uh, it addresses the question I was going to ask about governance structures, about um, you know, pu pulling together that central team and how, to, how do you utilize people. Um, do you, in terms of um, any measurements, I actually didn't ask you about this, Chris, but either of you, in terms, anybody have any uh, memories where you have a good stat or a good, uh, like, KPI, like something, something which, which was measurable to say, okay, well, before it was this and now well, look how we move the needle. Um, the one one that sticks out to me was um, this is a project that I worked on years ago, um, where we were tasked with, um, you know, basically the the organization was being measured by how well they serve customers, and they had like a certain number that they need to needed to hit, and um, it was a question of if if they provided better information. Um, could those numbers rise? And um, that did happen by, by being able to, you know, we were able to, to um, help them better serve their customers by simplifying their content experience. Um, so to me, that was very uh, quantifiable. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I, uh, I think we're, uh, we're, I'm afraid where we're running out of time for today. I've had a great chat with you guys. Um, I really hope we get to get you back on the podcast and again in the future and uh, over to one of the live shows. So we'll keep in touch about that. Um, anybody else who's listening to the session, uh, I want to say thank you for, thank you for tuning in um, either for the first time or again. Uh, and thank you both Chris and, and Matt for your time today. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a cool conversation and I hope uh, that our listeners got, got something out of it. So again, if you, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can check out omnichannelx.digital. That's not.com. Although I think it does redirect. No, it does redirect. Um, but it's omnichannelx.digital, my preferred way to get there um, for more information about the conference and any other um, the newsletter and any of the stuff that we're doing um, to give you guys the best information and best access to the thought leaders that are out there. Uh, so I hope to see you next time and have a good one, everybody. Bye now. Thanks folks. Cheers.